This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning. I'm James Manning. Joining me every week is my co-host, Andrew Mercado. This week, we're going to be talking about a couple of uh, programs from Apple TV+, Plus, a movie and TV series. We're going to be looking at... um, couple of Australian productions, something from Stan, something coming to seven, and Andrew will give us a soap update, and then we'll finish with a couple of uh, quick things about what we are watching, and we'll both nominate a TV series of the week. Andrew, welcome. Um, I thought we might start with Sharper Today, a movie. Yes, what a great movie. Um, You know, you kind of forget that amongst all these TV series um, that are streaming, that a lot of these streaming services are also doing one-off movies. And Sharper got my attention because I could see Julianne Moore and John Lithgow on the poster. uh, And I went into it not knowing a single thing about it, James, which is my favourite experience (laughs) in the world, to just let a movie unfold and wash over me without ever seeing the trailer and without knowing the slightest idea of where we were going. Yeah, look, I'm with you. I I, I just turn away from trailers sometimes because I just don't want to see what's coming up. It is great to go in without any preconceptions and just to be, you know, visually assaulted about with, uh, with what happens and not knowing. And I've got to say, I started sharper and I've got to think, am I – um, is Julianne Moore really in this? <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought the same thing for a while. And I went and I stopped it and I checked. I'm watching Sharper, yeah, and I've, and I've gone and checked. Yeah, Julianne Moore's listed in the cast. Okay, I get it. She's not, but I think it's about 50 minutes <laughs> yeah. into it before she appears. But um, they're, look, they're calling this a con artist caper. And, look, it's not perfect, but, gee whiz, it got me in. It's um, it's It's a fascinating piece of entertainment. And it's great because there's so many twists and turns to oh. this. <laughs> you know, you every time you're getting a handle on it, they pull the rug out from underneath you and flip everything up in the air. It's literally my favourite type of suspense thriller to watch. Oh, yeah, look, it just keeps delivering, doesn't it? Every Because the, the film sort of divided into um, plot segments each, oh, there's probably four main ones, I think. Um, Tom, Sandra, Max, and Madeline are the four key characters, and yeah. they each get a piece of the movie from their point of view, but they don't repeat the the move. It moves on with yeah. each character. When I first saw that happening, I thought, oh, no, don't tell me we're going to go back and see what we've just seen from another point of view. I, that's a bit tedious. It can be. But, no, they, the story moves on, but just sh- sh- as you learn more about them. Yeah, um, yeah. It starts in a little, it had me in from the start, a, a little sort of musty old secondhand bookshop in New York, just a fantastic setting. Um, I didn't know much about the the two stars, Justice Smith and Brianna Middleton. Um, relatively, I won't call them newcomers because they've got a body of work, but they haven't had big, big starring roles in anything that I'd seen anyway. Uh uh, character of Tom's running the bookstore. Uh, s- character of Sandra comes in asking about an old book he just happens to have. They get a discussion. He asks her out to dinner. She says no, then comes back later in the day and goes, actually, 
you know, yeah, why not, you know? So they go that, and that's the first sting, if you like. The, the first con starts to unfold there, and then they just roll out with each character. It's just um, just completely entertaining. I must admit I saw the first sting coming. As <laughs> soon as that setup was happening, you know, the alarm bells started going off in my head, and I thought, hang on, something's not right here. And there was a scene that sort of gave it away. You sort of saw one of the characters disappearing, and it was like, oh, yeah, this is this is on. But what happened next, I had absolutely no clue where it was going to head. And the way they twisted that plot around and brought in those new characters that where every character ended up being connected to another character, I thought that was just incredibly clever. Yeah, I mean, that Tom and Sandra start a relationship and there was a party and someone asks um, Sandra about her background and she sort of avoids part of the question. That's when my sort of antenna, if you like, was first raised. I'm thinking, oh, hello a minute. What's What might be going to happen here? And it's yeah. good, though, because you're on the lookout, aren't you, for, for what might be happening. But, but yeah, they're, they're still surprises when they actually happen. Uh, Julianne Moore is fantastic. Um, she's involved in a relationship with a character played by John Lithgow, yeah. uh, a very rich businessman. And that brings a whole new element to the movie. It sort of almost refreshes itself every time there's a as a new totally. Con, you know. Totally. And yet, you know, uh, the way it starts with that very sweet love story is actually something that, you know, they keep coming back to, even though, you know, you think this this they can't continue this affair with the the amount of deception that's been going on, but it's so cleverly done. In the end, you kind of go, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this ending, which of course we won't give away here. No, 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 but it's just, uh, it's just great stuff. Um, a, a shout out to um, the character of Max, yeah. played by Sebastian Stan. Did you recognise him? No, should I have recognised him? Yeah, well, I've I've got to say I didn't. I found out later on, but he was he starred in one of our favourites from last year. What? Well, <laughs> oh my God! I've just been looking on Wikipedia. Pam it's and Tommy. Tommy Lee from Pam and Tommy. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow! And I also see here. That he's a Marvel star. He plays. Yeah, he's made a lot of Marvel movies. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah, what a performance in Sharper because there's none of that in that performance of his here. Yeah. Wow. There's none of Tommy Lee, is there? Tommy Lee is completely an invention. Wow. That's right. Yeah. And what a good character is in this, too. And he sort of steals the, the movie from um, Julianne Moore at times because yeah. he's certainly in the movie for longer. And his character is really hard to get a handle on, isn't it? Yeah, very, very. He's very um, emotionless. He doesn't really show anything or let you into anything, which yeah. I guess is part of the con man. It's interesting, you know, it reminded me, um, once I realised it was about con artists, it reminded me of a film from like around the very, very early 70s. It was called One Born Every Minute with George C. Scott. And it had an alternate title, which was The Flim Flam Man. And I remember asking my parents, what is a flim flam man? And 
them having to explain to me, oh, it's a con artist, you know, and, uh, you know, that that I, that I conversation came back to me. That was the first time I kind of learned what con artists were. Yeah, so look, that's sharper. Apple TV Plus, um, highly recommended from uh, both of us, I think. Yeah. Um, so streaming services seem to have their purple patches, don't they? All of a sudden, they get a few shows you're watching. Then some other ones, you you realise, look, I haven't been there for a while. They they go up and down. They're quite uneven. You know, it must be hard, obviously, to to find hit shows and then keep them coming. But yeah. Apple TV has got a few at the moment. Their second one is something called Hello Tomorrow, and it's it's strange, isn't it? Because it's a science fiction, but it's sort of Set is it the fifties or the sixties? It's a retro. It's futuristic, no. but it's retro. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not quite sure that works for me. <laughs> I had a lot of trouble with it. I had a lot of trouble with watching a show which is set in that kind of very suburban 1950s America we see, where you know, mom is the perfect housewife staying at home all day while the kids go to school and waiting to cook the dinner and waiting for dad to come back from work and smoke his pipe and put his slippers on. So it's very much set in that suburbia where people are watching black and white TV and yet they've got all of these robots and all of these other incredible scientific discoveries working for them. The husbands are using jetpacks to fly to work and there are robots that are walking dogs in the neighbourhood. But I'm watching it and going, sorry, they've invented robots to to walk dogs, but they haven't invented colour TV yet. Like, what the? It's just like just such a strange mix. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Billy Crudup plays a salesperson um selling real estate on the moon. Yeah. And, you know, which is um a bit hard to grasp anyway. And I'm I'm I've only seen the first episode and I'm I'm not sure if that turns out to be a con or not either, because it's um it's hard to imagine they've given that there's they're actually traveling to the moon. But there's no reason in the show given to me as to why you'd want to live on the moon except <laughs> to be some sort of freaky person to live in a dome. To me it's like if you're going to be selling timeshare in the moon, yeah. you're selling it there because there's this horrible situation on Earth and you want to get away from it. And But, you know, everything on Earth is kind of peachy keen in this environment. It's sort of being sold as the ultimate holiday destination. But I just wasn't really buying the concept, James. Yeah, I guess because they have these little, they go into local communities, put on a function at a at a like a, a whole church hall or something, and yeah. then just give this spiel about. And I guess one of the selling points is that it's it's economically viable for people who might be struggling to make ends meet on Earth. Look, you can go to the moon. It's a whole lot cheaper. And we'll sell you a house and it'll be, I don't know, I can't remember, they quote a price, but it's something like a couple hundred bucks a month. Right. right. And you can have a place on the moon. So I think that's the main pitch. That's the pitch, um, okay. Yeah, that, that that's how they do it. But um, it's interesting. Look, a shout-out for uh, Jackie Weaver appears yes. as um, Billy Crudup's mother in that first episode. And I think she's a recurring character. She's in a retirement home. She's not well. Um, Billy Crudup 
is Jack Billings. He feels obliged to go and visit her, but the visit never stays long. They don't. St- he doesn't stay long. She, you know, is giving him all this life advice, which he doesn't really need. He's separated. Um, his wife. He hasn't seen his son for a long time, which is one of the themes of that opening episode. And she also, Jackie Weaver's character, also alludes to something in Billy Crudup's past that he clearly doesn't want to come out just yet. So, I mean, there's there's that, the promise of that in future episodes. And there's also the people around him, the salesman in his team. He's got Hank Azaria and yeah. he uh, gets this new young guy comes in. And this looks like another subplot of it, this young guy whose mother gets killed by a robotic delivery a truck delivery that goes wrong that sort of reverses into her and kills her and everyone just kind of goes, oh, well, you know, every now and then the robots malfunction. I'm sort of like, yeah, but she's dead. And, uh, you know, it's 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 sort of hinting at that sort of Westworld experience yeah. of the robots are going to go wrong. But, you know, the whole thing about selling timeshare on the moon, it's just so bizarre. I just yeah. really didn't quite get what was going on here. Well, that's Billy's son and his wife, his separated wife, is crushed by the the robot backing the van. Oh, oh, I didn't even pick that up. That's his son. Yeah, and he gives him a job, but the son doesn't know he's his dad. Oh, he doesn't know that's, it's his dad. Right. Yeah, that, that's, that's sort of what starts to unfurl in that first episode. There's going to be oh. uh, ten episodes dropping weekly, I think, this week is uh, episode three. Right. So, but now something that struck me, I was just looking through the cast. Jackie Weaver plays someone called Barbara Billings. Yeah. Now, that name rang a bell with me. Why? And it's, I think it's a bit of a tribute because Barbara Billings Lee played uh, June Cleaver in Leave It oh. to Beaver. Oh, right. Yeah, that is definitely an homage then. Yeah, so that can't be just coincidence, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a homage to um, uh, Leave It to Beaver, you know, American sitcoms of the 60s. So I wouldn't mind betting in some of the other characters' names there might be other nods too perhaps. Yeah, right. Yeah, because that is very much the environment of that American suburbia. It's very much uh, caught up in that that world of – you know, I Love Lucy, the first TV shows in the 50s when TV is really becoming a thing, yeah, and those yeah. first family sitcoms. Yes, absolutely. All right, so, look, that's Hello Tomorrow. I'm on board, I think. Um, yeah? I, I, I want to see where this goes, yeah, um, especially after just seeing one. So, yeah, I, I'm going to return. You're just – you're not – you're unsure, aren't you? I'm unsure, but, look, I only watched one episode and I always say – <laughs> that you've got to watch two episodes of everything to decide whether you're in on out in or out because sometimes something might happen in that second episode and give you just enough interest to keep going. Sure. Okay, now look, we've got a few things that either one of us has seen but not both of us. So let's go to something we don't see a lot of on TV, sketch comedy. Seven are giving it another go with something next week. Yeah, they are, and it's right there in that 7.30 p.m. time slot, which is, you know, a, an interesting time slot for that. It's going to, I assume it's going to be up against Married at First Sight on 9. Uh, so We Interrupt This Broadcast is a new Australian sketch comedy show 
It's got a great cast. Christy Whelan Brown's in there. A lot of people uh, that have done this type of thing before. I could see some of the performers from Black Comedy in there. Um, the purpose of this show, we interrupt this broadcast. Is it's there in the title? The show is nothing but send-ups of TV shows. So they send up Married at First Sight and MasterChef. They even send up Hunted. A lot of reality TV shows are being sent up. Um, there's a pretty funny send-up of Love Island, which becomes Lip Island, and everyone on this <laughs> at this resort has these giant lips. And the standout clip for me was a footy panel show, I guess, uh, not so much like the front bar, but more like those footy shows on a Sunday morning where they're all sitting at the one panel desk. And in this footy show, they're all really big footballers and they're kind of, they don't really fit at the desk because they're all sort of on top of each other. And they're like, yeah, we're big blokes that, that talk about football. And then hilariously they go, where's the woman? Where's the woman? And this woman shoves her head in between them and kind of goes, I'm the token female. And there's no room for her because these guys are so big. That skit was really funny. But I tell you what, James, at one hour running time, yeah. it started to wear out its welcome. You know, to see nothing but skits, a skit about MasterChef and then Married at First Sight and then back to MasterChef and back at Married First Sight. Like it maybe would have worked for me better as a half-hour show, but after an hour I was kind of definitely losing interest. And it does make me wonder, I mean, sketch comedy – really, really struggles to get a foothold in today's world of social media because as soon as that episode goes to air, a whole bunch of people on Twitter start going, this isn't funny, this is rubbish, this is crap. And, I mean, that's kind of really cruel in a way because if you go back and look at the first episode of Fast Forward or if you look at the first episode of The Comedy Company, it's not really that great. You kind of need to give ensemble casts like this a chance to really find their groove and get to the funny. I, I just wish that we interrupt this broadcast had a bit more going on than just TV send-ups because if you don't know those TV shows, I'm wondering why you would want to watch this show that's 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 sending up. If, you, if you're not a fan of reality TV, you're not going to watch a sketch comedy show that pretty much is 90% sending up reality TV. Yeah, look, look, and I, I'm saying this without having seen it. For me, I like the idea they're sending up TV and there's nothing else because I I think back to my favourite, you know, comedy um, sketch things and they were all usually connected with sending up a TV show. Yeah. I think that's something, look, I don't watch Married at First Sight, but I'm, I'm on board for a send-up of it. Yep. Um, so I get that, and you know some of the other. You know I'm not watching Australian Idol, um, but I'm up for them sending it up. I'm yeah. not watching a footy panel show anymore. I might have in my past. <laughs> I, I so I get that. I the half hour thing I understand, but I think it's very hard, isn't it, for free to air to program a half hour show now on commercial TV. Yeah, because every you're just getting swamped, aren't you? Like, even an hour is almost a short program in prime time now. So we've talked a few weeks ago about how these early evening, it's ninety minutes often now, isn't it? From yeah, 
7.30, these shows don't often finish much before 9 o'clock. And to put a half-hour show in there, it's just going to be – it's just going to get buried by everything else around it. So I guess they feel like they've they've got to try it at, at 60 minutes. But, you know, you could uh, pair a half-hour sketch comedy show with a half-hour sitcom. Um, you could find some hot American sitcom. They've got some Australian sitcom called, you know – that that show about the family that they've never ever aired with Rhonda Birchmore as the horny grandmother and Michaela Bannis, you know, that's sitting on a shelf at seven somewhere. Look, this has got uh, some great uh, cast members in there and some great guest performers. I saw Ian Roberts in the first episode. I saw Virginia Gay in the first episode, and I know Georgie Parker and uh, some other people like that are coming down the line. Look, there's some great stuff here. I just really, really, really hope that uh, there's enough viewers to keep this going because the only way a show like this is going to work is to be left on the air long enough for them to find their groove. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be need to be left on the air and you've got to think will it end up in another time slot where it might be given a chance to breathe properly because it's going to be tough to find that audience on debut. Look, the Well, having said that, this is the type of show that Seven need to repeat in yeah. other time slots. Yeah. You know the way how Channel 10 will repeat some of their shows on a Friday night and a Saturday night, and they're always comedy panel shows that, you know, you can pick up on any night of the week. This is a show that they should repeat the hell out of and not just have that one screening at Tuesday at 7.30, where it's going to get smashed in the ratings by Married at First Sight put in a few more repeat screenings of this through the week and it might just find its audience. Yeah, look, the spiel from Seven says um, 25 of Australia's top comedy writers have worked on this show, so that'll help it. Um, it comes from Helium, which is Mark Fennessy's production company, um, look, he's worked on a lot of this sort of programming before. You'd remember Comedy Inc. Yep which was, uh, I think, started at Cracker Jack, which was Mark's oh, probably about four companies ago <laughs> where the, yeah. that, that, that he worked on. Look, that ran for nearly 100 episodes on nine. Yeah. I think it was about four years. Look, I think it ended up reasonably late at night. But, look, it held down some good time slots for quite a while. These days, look, TV's very different. Nine admitted yesterday that, Programs now on Nine Now can nearly account for 30% of the Nine audience. So people are used to watching on demand. So this could do good business on 7 Plus. Yeah, right. Um, it yeah. It will also be repeated, as you mentioned, heavily. So they're not going to look at that first overnight figure, which is yeah. still important, but it's what it might attract over a week, over two weeks, over three weeks. So that tail is starting to get longer and be factored into programming and advertising buying decisions. Yeah, 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 good point. Yeah. So that's uh, we interrupt this broadcast. Look, I'll tune in. It'd be good for everybody to try and support this and, um, you know, hopefully get it get it away. Now, you've been some watching something else, I think, that um, – that I haven't seen yet, something called Rain Dogs. Yes, so this is a new HBO 
BBC comedy um, that is beginning on Foxtel Binge on March the 7th. So uh, it's this is going to be a bit of a preview. Um, I came across it because I was sent the screener by Foxtel and I could see in the synopsis that there was a privileged gay man in the cast. And, you know, I'm writing for Media Week this week all about all the queer programming that's out for World Pride and Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras. So I thought, oh, check out Rain Dogs. Um, But, you know, Rain Dogs doesn't really fit in that character at all. Yes, he's a gay man, but this is not a queer show. This is a, a really bizarre mix. It's basically about a single mother and a daughter. In the first episode, they haven't paid their rent. The rent collectors are at the door, bashing the door down, and so they just throw their clothes into a garbage bag and go out onto the streets, and they're more or less hopeless. Um, the lead character is – sorry, not hopeless. They're homeless. <laughs> so the lead character is called Costello. She is played by Daisy May Cooper, and she's a sex worker who works in one of those peep shows in Soho, London, and she and her daughter are sort of walking the streets – they're looking to, to stay at their friend's place, uh, Gloria, played by Ronky Adelagujo, and she is uh, drunk in a phone box, so she's not home. She's helped out of the phone box by the one name in this cast I really recognise, which is Adrian Edmondson, who, of course, played Vivian in The Young Ones, yeah. and he's an artist who specialises in painting pictures of vaginas, and he often hires uh, the uh, Costello to pose for him and to give him a quick hand job, which he pays for. So, you know, the, all of this is kind of, this setup is setting up and it's one of those shows like you're watching it going, wow, this is really kind of, you know, trying to set up how how bad can we make this setup be? You know, when Costello goes on a date with this tabloid photographer, he takes her to a bin to eat food that's gone out of date in the in the bin. And you're going, oh, my God, this is so try hard. But there was something about it that hooked me in, James, and I've actually kept watching it and I've nearly finished it. So I'm going to be fascinated to know what you think about it because it's a, it's a concept to me that feels like it's really trying too hard to be shocking at the beginning, but it kind of gets its hooks into you. And it turns out that it's based on a novel by a woman called Cash Carraway. And it actually turns out that a lot of this may well be autobiographical. Um, so I am going to be wanting to hear from you next week what you make <laughs> of Rain Dogs as it uh, starts to gets ready to premiere on Foxtel and Binge. Okay, look, my bit of homework for you is bad behaviour. Ah, uh, the you... stand drama. Correct, yeah, yeah. Um, look, I didn't quite buy into it. It's a short run. It's just four episodes. What It's worthy for a number of reasons. Um, Stan always make interesting commissions. Look, yes. they don't always work, but they commission that much stuff. I think it appeals to a, a wide variety of tastes. And by commissioning, you mean they're commissioning Australian content, Correct. and that's Sorry, what yeah. Stan do really well, yeah. Australian originals, yeah. yeah. That's their real point of difference in the market, if you like, and I think probably why a lot of people keep their Stan subscriptions. But, of course, they have some great international stuff as well. Um, the other reason is because producer is uh, Amanda Higgs, who's got a great track record, 
um, of course, best known perhaps for for some time ago, The Secret Life of Us. Yeah. Uh, very successful, ran for a few seasons. I think it was on 10, wasn't it, back in the day? Yes, it was. Um, she tracks her career back to um, Strictly Ballroom, where she was a, a production assistant. So she she's done a lot since then. This is her latest work. Look, I didn't know a lot of the cast, um, to be honest. A, a lot of um, – it's a, sort of set in a girls' boarding school, if you like, out in the bush. <laughs> it's, it's You've got to sort of suspend belief in a few things and just go, yep, okay, I, I understand. This is based on a real thing. This this – this thing about sending kids to remote areas to live in boarding schools, this is a thing that really elite private schools do. This bad behaviour is actually based on a memoir uh, from uh, Rebecca Stafford who did go to a school like this and did spend a year out in a bush setting and She's based a lot of this on on stuff that she saw and I don't know whether she's embellished it, but this is a thing. It seems very weird that you would send young kids out into this area to kind of fend for themselves, but it is actually based in fact. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I, I went to a boarding school for a few years and luckily they didn't have this where they send students out, but some of, yeah, some of the big boarding schools do. I know I think Scott's in Sydney yeah. have a have – a, a, you go for like – might be a full year, but it's at least six months, I think, where you go and live in. It's a little bit more primitive than your your accommodation in the city. Um, and I guess the idea is, to, I don't know, toughen you up or something. I'm not yeah. quite sure, but um, <laughs> but yeah, look, I I wasn't on board with this. Look, it's it's four episodes. I'll probably give it a go. Look, I won't say too much more. Diana Glenn's in it. I like her work. Um, I didn't recognise a lot of the other cast, but look, we'll have a quick chat about it um, next time when you've seen some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I will watch every Australian TV show um, to see what it's like. So, yeah, I'll definitely get onto this. Okay. Let's talk about some other things we're watching quickly to wind up. Um, you've got a bit of an update on soap, and this it's quite one of these – one of the world's premier dramas is now available on Over the Top. So it's it's gone, it's sort of boycotting, if you like, a, a, a traditional television broadcast in Australia. How can we watch it? Okay, so I spoke a few weeks ago about the fact that Shortland Street, um, probably the best drama in New, on New Zealand TV at the moment, it had been screening on SBS Viceland. It had an incredible... Uh, Christmas cliffhanger with the hospital on fire, a bushfire, incredible special effects. Came back for two weeks on SBS Viceland as they were rebuilding the hospital and then yanked off air, not screening anymore. Well, it turns out that until they find an Australian broadcaster or a new network, they're releasing the episodes on YouTube to watch for free. And I just think that is such a great thing for South Pacific's the Pacific Pictures, the production house, to do because there's, you know, there'd be a lot of Kiwis and, you know, there's a handful of Aussies like me who watch Shortland Street and think it's a great show. And so I've been watching it on YouTube, great quality. And this is how great this show is right now, James. It's set in a hospital and now that the hospital has been rebuilt, it's been rebuilt thanks to the financial imp 
support of a religious organization, which is sort of like a bit like a Hill song. You know, they've got a TV presence and uh, Antonia Preble from Outrageous Fortune and Westside plays Rebecca, who's now running the hospital. And, you know, we saw in the cliffhanger last year that she killed somebody with a fire extinguisher, smashed them over the head with it and left them to burn in the fire because this person had some information that could have uh, been very detrimental to the church. So she, we know that she's a bad villain and, and these are the soap tropes that we love. But what I love about Shortland Street is that it's doing stuff that's so now. So now that the religious... Uh, organization has got their hooks into Shortland Street. In episodes airing this week, they've started to ban abortions. Instead, they want pregnant women to go to one of their counsellors to be talked out of having it. And they're also banning surgery on transgender people. And you've got all of these characters uh, in Shortland Street, one in particular who is the show's most kind of, they call her the Wonder Woman of Feminism, Maeve, who's a lesbian, but it's such great writing that she is compromised and doesn't know where to move in terms of uh, these changes that are preventing, you know, medical uh, stuff being done in this hospital. It's so cleverly written and it's so about issues that are going on right now. And in fact, when uh, the abortion ban comes in, one of the characters goes, for God's sake, this is New Zealand, not Texas. And I just thought, wow, you know, it's just talk about <laughs> being ripped from the headlines. So, yeah, if you're a fan of Shortland Street, it's there on YouTube. They seem to upload it uh, as soon as it goes to air in New Zealand. And I just think it's so great that they're giving it to fans of the show to not miss a single episode. Well done, Shortland Street. And if you want to hear Andrew talking about Nolly, make sure you listen to one of last week's two episodes we had where we talk about that and the and the sort of renewed interest in a lot of um, UK soaps. Yeah. Look, the other thing I want to I'll talk on, about, yep. James, is that our Neighbours uh, is now available to watch on Amazon. Okay. So we know that Amazon are making brand new episodes that are going to come out later this year. They promised that there would be a heap of classic episodes, and they are. They've started with uh, episodes from 2012, which is odd. I don't know why they're starting with 2012. I'm, I'm going to um, ask and find out why. But they've also, you can watch every episode from 2012. They're there, but there's also a batch of classic episodes and Amazon Prime have done it really well, James, because as you go through these classic episodes, as you read the script synopsis, you, you, a neighbor's fan will go, oh yeah, I know why that episode's there, but even better, the image that they use, the photographic image that they use, you just look on that image and go, oh, well, there's Scott and Charlene's wedding and there's Daphne dying and they've done it really visually. And, in fact, one of them is just a picture of a puddle on a rock with a pair of glasses on it and nobody would know what that means except for a Neighbours fan who would look at that and go, that's the episode where Harold gets swept off the rocks and all Madge finds these his glasses on the edge. Of course, he gets found. You know, he floats out to sea and gets rescued. Of course, he comes back. But, yeah, they've just done a really, really good job of it, and I'm, I'm seeing on social media people are loving it. Um, all of Margot Robbie's key episodes are in there. So, you know, well done. So far, so good. And, in fact, uh, if you check out our Digital Spy, 
you'll see uh, a story related to these Neighbours episodes dropping on Amazon. And um, something that uh, has happened in the UK is that I think we mentioned briefly that Brookside, an old soap, was being repeated on STV, which is a Scottish streaming service. And they're talking about the phenomenal success of Brookside, which has made given STV uh, an actual profile in the UK and is making people who weren't aware of it find what else is there on STV because they're interested in Brookside. So it's kind of pointing to the fact that there's got there's this whole new audience for soap fans now on streaming services. And, of course, I am very happy about that. <laughs> okay, a quick couple from me. I've been watching uh, season two of um, two series, First on is Hotel Portofino. It's on Foxtel and Binge. Um, it's sort of a UK drama. It's set in Portofino, as the title suggests, a sort of a boutique hotel back in, I think it's, it's the 1920s um, yeah. or early 1930s, the sort of rise of Mussolini and the black shirts is a political undercurrent there, bit of nastiness about the place. Uh, it's actually filmed in Croatia, a lot of it. So if you look at it and think, oh, Italy's so beautiful, well, also Croatia is so beautiful too because <laughs> a lot of those lovely village scenes are from um, places in Croatia and along the coastline there. And look at stars. Um, oh, what's her name? Um, 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 Natasha McAlone. McAlone, yeah, or McAloney, um, who played the long-suffering Karen in um, alongside David Duchovny in um, oh my god, my, I'm having lots oh, of you mean Californication? Californication. Oh yeah, yeah, she was so great in that, wasn't she? <laughs> she put they up. They had a, a daughter. Oh yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. She put up with a lot from um, from <laughs> David Duchovny. Yeah, so she's in that. She runs this little boutique hotel in Portofino, and it sort of tells the story of. Her relationship, um, the second season, she's, you know, her her husband um, is not a great guy and how she's dealing with that, uh, the different guests that come through the hotel. So that's what we're seeing. And I'm also looking at season two of Clarkson's Farm, uh, Jeremy Clarkson. Um, look, I did think, look, do I want to keep watching this show after what he wrote about Meghan Markle? Yeah. I, I, he apologised, I thought reasonably sincerely, Look, his daughter reacted badly to what he wrote about her and said, how could you, you know, and, and I think he realised he he certainly did overstep the mark. So I'm happy to take his apology at face value and, and I believe him. I've always found him entertaining on TV and this second season's um, it's an easy watch too. That's on Amazon Prime. I would suggest to you that maybe this is going to be the last season of <laughs> Clarkson's Farm. I think he's lost his contract with Amazon Prime, hasn't he? After yeah, I, I, they haven't comments. confirmed that yet, but I think the show's probably get, just about run its course. I mean, right. I'm not sure how much more comedy you can get out of him walking around the paddock and crashing <laughs> his tractor and upsetting the locals and, you know, fighting with the council over things he wants to do with his farm shop. And so, look, I think it might run out of steam almost regardless of his sort of um, the people who want him cancelled, if you like. 
Could you continue the show with, because there's a huge cast of characters around him, could you continue the show and kind of get rid of him the way that they got rid of Valerie Harper from her show and called it the Hogan family and kept it going with everybody else in the show? Could you could you do that on him? No, no, yeah, not right. at all. That's, he's, um, he's so crucial to it. He's too central to it all, yeah. yeah. And it would just be bizarre. You'd just look at it and go in wondering, well, why is this happening without him? Involved yeah. and you know because his uh, it's his wife I think they're married his partner anyway um, his accountant his account you know that his key farm hand they're all central to it and and the they're interesting because of their interaction with Jeremy Clarkson so right right pulling him out of it is just going to be be too weird look we're nearly out of time have you got a program of the week. Oh, yeah, look, I thought a really strong return for Gogglebox last night. Okay. Um, you know, I really, um, a bit of a change in the cast. Uh, some of them uh, have gone for reasons that you should watch the show to find out. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, a really, really entertaining and, and great to see what people are thinking about you know, all of the reality shows back on TV, Married at First Sight, um, Australian Survivor and Australian Idol. Honestly, the things that people were saying while they were watching Australian Idol, it was really hilarious. Yeah, okay. So it's a new season of Gogglebox. Gets a tick from Andrew. I'm going for Sharper, the um, the con artist caper, which is um, just, yeah, I highly recommend that. Look, you've been listening to uh, Mikado and Manning, Media Week's weekly TV podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You can read Andrew every week at mediaweek.com.au and in our daily uh, Media Week morning report newsletter. Great column this week, Andrew. What do you write about? Well, I talk about uh, all of the queer programming that's around TV, streaming services, ABC being the official broadcaster for World Pride and the Mardi Gras. So some great live coverage uh, coming up there, but there's a whole bunch of other shows floating around the ridges there. I've, I've tried to go through it all and pick some of the best bits to look out for. Yeah, fantastic. All righty, we'll um, speak to you soon, Andrew. Thanks, James. Have a great week.